The date is October 2nd, 1992, and we're watching The Mighty Ducks. Welcome to I Used to Like This One. and welcome to I Used to Like This One, the show where we take a look back at movies we remember fondly from our childhood and attempt to look past the nostalgia to see if they still hold up. My name is Sean Wells, and with me, as always, is the Fulton Reed to my Charlie Conway. Should I, I, was, I was thinking maybe I should just grunt just like, <laughs> Hello, I'm Colin Stewart. And this week, we are celebrating the release of a new TV series called The Mighty Ducks Game Changers, available now on Disney Plus, with this week's movie. Now, we have done Karate Kid before, but I think of this one as our first real sports movie that we've covered on this show. So we brought in a couple of sports experts today. The co-host team of a podcast called The Sports Rundown. Please welcome Chris Wolf and Aaron Brewster. Hello, everybody. Hello. I, I guess we're considered the Connie Moreau and Guy Germain okay. of, nice. of the episode. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I have to level with you. A lot of sports references might end up going over my head. Hockey is my sport of choice as a Canadian. But I've always been under the impression that I prefer to play a sport rather than watch it, unless it's a sport I can't play. And hockey, I've never had the coordination. You guys are down in Texas, though. What What is your relationship with hockey? Well, I couldn't name one ice rink in our city. I know we have one, but um, I mean, my relationship, I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, so there was plenty of hockey to be had. Yeah. Um, we, My neighborhood, they built us a rink every year for the kids to skate on so that part of this movie was was very familiar to me uh, hockey was which very big in our culture yeah i grew up in uh, washington state so i watched a lot of minor league hockey uh, kind of went to some games every other place i've lived but as far as san antonio we used to have a minor league hockey team uh but they recently moved out to las vegas over the last couple of years so oh. we have no hockey down here to watch except what's on tv uh, and you you don't go Further into your state, are you a Dallas Stars fan? Or if you had an NHL team, which one is it for you? For me, for being from Washington State, I would probably pick Vancouver. Um, okay. But next year, I'll be a Seattle fan, obviously. Yeah, there you go. Are they still going with the Kraken? For their, for their they team? are going with the Kraken, yes. Oh, boy. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean it's, it's worth it solely so that when they have their like opening skate and the team comes out, they can say, release the Kraken. That would be like oh, my yeah. only purpose in picking that name. Absolutely. And that's exactly what I thought when I when I heard that was one of the options. That My mind went exactly to that. <laughs> yeah. So now I reached out to you thinking, okay, it, it would be great to have some sports people on this Mighty Ducks episode. And you've got like polarizing opinions of this movie between the two of you. Aaron, you love this movie. And Chris, you hate this movie. Is, is that still the case? Uh, I don't know if hates the, hates the word. It's just one of those, you know, standard Disney movies that fo follows the formula. Yeah. Um, and you kind of you kind of knew it was going to happen throughout the whole thing. For me, it's just pure nostalgia. I was nine years old when the movie came out. So the kids were, I think that, you know, they're supposed to be right around like fifth, sixth grade. You know, any live action early 90s Disney movie was like prime time viewing in my household. I had an older brother who was two years older than me. 
like between the mighty ducks and like angels in the outfield and like the sandlot, like anything like that, that was being played in my house. So D one, two, a little bit of three, but mainly, you know, mighty ducks was something I was viewing on the regular. Now, something like bad news bears is older or younger, depending on which version you're looking at it. Like it falls on either side of mighty ducks, but this movie is very influenced by that movie. But do you guys have a relationship with that movie at all? I remember seeing it as a kid growing up. So that was probably maybe my Mighty Ducks of it. Because I remember like, oh, this is awesome. You know, they're a team of no uh, losers, uh, nobodies. And then all of a sudden they're great. I remember the movie. Um, I watched it back as an adult thinking, wow, a lot of the adult humor and maybe like some of the inappropriate things went completely over my head. But I definitely remember the movie with, you know, Walter Matthau, Tatum O'Neill. I think that was her breakout film. And um, I, I thought there were hilarious moments, a little bit more crass, obviously, than anything Disney would put out. But, yeah. um, you know, equally entertaining for sure. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen the original, and but for some reasons, I, I remember there being a lot of racism from Walt Matthau, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and I mean, hey, there's some things that probably wouldn't fly today in the Mighty Ducks, so. That's true. Well, this week, we are looking back at October 1992, when the movies and theaters were Last of the Mohicans, Reservoir Dogs, Captain Ron, Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, and of course, our movie for today, the Mighty Ducks, which earned $50.8 million on a $10 million budget. And of course, like the Triple D, spoilers cannot be stopped in this movie. So <laughs> if you do not want this movie to be spoiled for you, please hit pause, go watch it, and then come back and hear what we have to say. So the tagline that appears on the poster for this movie is, He's never coached. They've never won. Together, they'll learn everything about winning. That basically tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> yeah. But to fill in a few more of those gaps, let's go to Colin for a 60-second synopsis. Alright. Gordon Bombay loves one thing and one thing only. Winning. And as a lawyer, he wins a lot. When a DUI lands him on the other side of the defendant's box, Gordon's boss, Mr. Ducksworth, comes to his rescue and arranges a deal to bail out Gordon and protect his firm's reputation. As a result, Bombay is forced into community service as the new coach of the District 5 Pee Wee hockey team. There's a few problems, though. Number one, he hates hockey. Number two, he doesn't like kids. And number three, these kids really suck at hockey. Will <laughs> Gordon Bombay learn the true meaning of what it means to win while also turning this ragtag bunch of Pee Wee Zeros into hockey heroes and confronting some deeply rooted childhood trauma? All I can say is, quack, quack. Quack, which when translated is, let's find out on another episode of I Used to Like This One. Well done. Was that under 60 seconds? Uh, you know. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> Some of them are. We have a we have a 60 second story segment yes, uh, yes, on our show as well. And we did one on why all NFL fans should be hockey fans. And I did not. I I couldn't do it. Yeah, you were over by about 11 seconds, if I remember. It was. Yeah. Yep, I was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our 60 seconds is more of a loose a loose 60 seconds. 60 <laughs> seconds-ish. I, yeah. I think one of our episodes, it was around 12 seconds. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Nice. nice. Short and sweet. Yeah. So we've heard what Aaron and Chris know about Mighty Ducks. What about you, Colin? What's your experience? Yeah, so my, my history with Mighty Ducks actually starts with D2. 
And that's the movie I'm I'm the most familiar with and the one that I like the best cuz okay. The whole the whole Team USA Iceland rivalry is just, you know, top-notch Gunnar Stahl, best character in the entire franchise. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> and so I wa- I ended up watching the original afterwards when I think my mom just had randomly found it in a VHS bin at the time. And I mean, it's still awesome, but it also it really helped to fill in a lot of the a lot of the gaps from D2 that I because there's a whole scene there's a whole scene in the beginning of D2 where they're rollerblading through the city and at one point they come across these hawks and they they pull a trick on them and without the context of this movie they really just come off like bullies which I never understood so it was a nice filler but Mighty Ducks for sure is the movie that got me interested in hockey it was right around the time that I think I was in grade 3 when D2 came out which is around the time all my friends were starting to get into hockey Okay. And get like start trading hockey cards and hockey pogs at the time. So <laughs> yeah, I owe a lot of my my love of hockey in elementary school and junior high to the Mighty Ducks for sure. Mm-hmm. I can say that's probably down here in the states too. That's probably a lot of ways people got into hockey as well. Yeah, yeah. It's also like I remember I remember in gym class everybody trying the triple deke and the knuckle puck specifically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at, at least at least a hundred times. <laughs> Oh, and and I I was so disappointed with myself because like I'm waiting through this whole movie and I'm like, when did they introduce the knuckle puck? Where's the knuckle puck? And then and like like I got to the end and I'm like, oh yeah, that's the second one. Damn it! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's jump into the Mighty Ducks. It's directed by Stephen Herrick, who we talked about in our Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure episode. Director of things like Critters, 101 Dalmatian, Dolly Parton's Coat of Many Colors. Oh. <laughs> Dead Like Me, Life After Death, which was a follow-up movie to a series that I absolutely loved and was so sad it was cancelled after like two seasons. And he returned to the skating world for the movie Cutting Edge, Fire and Ice. I don't even know how many sequels there are to the Cutting Edge saga, but I'm pretty sure this is at least the second one. Is that the figure skating? Yeah, yeah, and it's... Yeah, yeah, the, the original I know I've seen, and it's a hockey player... Is being partnered with a figure skater. Did they? Didn't they make a? Didn't they make a reality TV show about that on the CBC? It was on CBC. Yes, uh, I don't remember what it's called, but yes, it was always a hockey player paired up with a professional skater and. Oh wow! Yeah, it was huge. I would watch that. (laughs) Yeah, um, what a good idea! It lasted like five seasons up here. (laughs) Nice. I could see Canada embracing a show like that. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. It's basically it's basically the the. Canadian Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, it's Battle of Battle of the Blades. Battle of the Blades. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's a great name. It for is. Though. That is. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So this movie is produced by John Avnet, who was a producer on D two and D three, Fried Green Tomatoes, Up Close and Personal, Risky Business, George of the Jungle, and also produced by Jordan Kerner, who was also a producer on D2 and D3. Many of the same credits as John Avnet, plus the all-new Smurfs movies and Charlotte's Web. It's written by Stephen Brill. This is his debut writing credit. He's also a writer on D2 and D3's Heavyweights, Walk of Shame, Ready to Rumble, Little Nicky. And he acts in this movie as Frank Huddy. He's the, the rival attorney. I thought I had read that he really wanted that role. I mean, he wrote it. Um, and Disney was like, yeah, we need a superstar to uh, draw in the crowd. 
felt bad for him, but I thought he did a great job as that state attorney. Yeah, and I mean, on top of that, they wanted a superstar, and they ended up with Emilio Estevez. So <laughs> maybe I was gonna say maybe that explains why why the animosity between the two is so palpable. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. He wasn't acting in those moments. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> So we open the movie on uh, like a sports announcer talking about Gordon Bombay, and we get this whole flashback scene interspersed with the credits of Coach Riley telling a young Gordon Bombay that if he misses this shot, you won't just be letting me down, but the whole team too. To a nine-year-old, what a nice coach! That's a that's a harsh way to coach these kids. You know, not everybody's a winner back in the nineties, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> coach Riley is played by Lane Smith, who was in V, My Cousin Vinny, The Scout, for more sports movies. But I know him best as Perry White and Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. I had to laugh watching the scene that's broken up. It, it's like breaking up the credits. But there's so many credits. <laughs> so many. You're sitting there waiting for the next scene of this flashback to ha- happen. And it's like, come on. I don't care who the grips on this movie are. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Show them at the end. We need to see if this kid makes his triple D. Yes. And he doesn't. Because we find out that young Gordon hits the post. Oh, shit. Heartbreak. So, but the thing is, is that didn't even end the game. They just had to go to overtime. Yeah, it wasn't right. all this kid's fault. Yeah, there is a line later where when he's talking to Charlie, I think it is, that he actually says, yes, the team ended up losing in overtime. And it's just like, well, it's not your fault. Yeah, right? Exactly. This is a really long chip on your shoulder, bud. <laughs> it should make a spinoff movie about, like, the goalie or whatever player blew it in overtime and talk about his childhood trauma <laughs> as well. <laughs> Like the next Cobra Kai, but it's uh, yes. Mighty Ducks. Well, we don't know what Game Changers is yet, so you it's never know. True. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we cut to a courtroom with older Gordon Bombay, and this is Emilio Estevez from Young Guns, The Breakfast Club, Stakeout, Men at Work, Judgment Night, D2, D3, and of course the upcoming Game Changers. I, I read that Gordon Bombay, though, could have been Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, Bill Murray, Michael J. Fox, or Charlie Sheen. And, you know, I think if, if it were Bill Murray, maybe it would have had more of that Bad News Bears kind of feel because it was I think they passed on him because he they thought he was too old. But yeah. I think that would have been really great casting if, if maybe it wasn't Disney, if they made it into maybe like a PG-13 movie instead. Well, and looking at that list, you know, I, I read that Emilio Estevez actually had to learn how to skate. But someone like Michael J. Fox was one of those guys that always played in celebrity hockey games. Yeah, so. he would have been great. I wonder why he passed. So this grown-up Gordon Bombay is a lawyer. He's sneaky. He wins a case against Frank, who he clearly has a rivalry with, by using some technicality on the judge. And he gets back to the office where he's waiting for the duck phone to ring. They really lean into the fact that this guy's (laughs) name is Ducksworth. Duckworth, yeah. He's expecting huge congratulations for finding a loophole and winning. But, well, Ducksworth does, in fact, want to see him when he gets there. And this is played by Joseph Summer, who was in Dirty Harry, Strange Days, Witness, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the president in X-Men 3. When he gets to Mr. Ducksworth's office, it's not a good thing like he thought. He basically gets told off for showboating. No one likes someone that brags all the time. I get it. <laughs> this is also why I think they really didn't go with Bill Murray. is yeah. because they wanted that hotshot lawyer, so mm-hmm. the young hotshot lawyer. <laughs> I actually really like the line that Ducksworth uses on Bombay. He's t- he tells him that he tells him to score, not spike. 
And I, I actually wrote that down. I was like, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna post that on my desk at, at my office. <laughs> it's an important, important reminder. A lot of so, foreshadowing in that one as well. Yeah. So getting told off sends Gordon into a spiral. He's, he's depressed now because he's drinking and driving on snowy roads and swerving all over the place. And of course, he gets pulled over, and the cop can tell he's been drinking and asks, breath, blood, or urine? He says, no thanks, I'm full. That was a good line. That was a really good line. I would like to say any northerner knows, like, don't drive your Camaro on snowy roads or, you know, any real world drive car. You know, leave your sports car at home when it's snowing. Yeah, it was a very unpractical car for, (laughs) or impractical. Minnesota winter. Yeah. (laughs) So it's down to the station with old Gordon. And then we get this hard cut to the courtroom where his DUI is in front of the same judge and Frankie is prosecuting in what has to be one of the happiest moments of his life. Well, Mr. Ducksworth is undoubtedly upset. Gordon is busy looking for a loophole in his own case, but the boss says enough. He spoke to the judge to get it sorted out to provide the least amount of embarrassment for the law firm. Under what conditions? Well, he's going to get probation, suspension of his license, and 500 hours of community service. Plus, they're giving him a leave of absence from the firm. But that last one was Mr. Ducksworth edition, not the judge. Gordon, you need a break. You need to learn compassion, fair play. So Gordon will still be on salary and provided a driver, but his community service is he'll be coaching hockey, which sucks because like Colin said, he hates kids. (laughs) (laughs) Hates kids. Oh man, they're kind of fueling his like, why don't you just keep on drinking? We'll give you a driver. Yeah. You know, he, he definitely could have gone down the deep end on this one. Yeah, there there really should have been like twenty eight days in a detox center for him. Right, <laughs> exactly. Right before he goes to work with the kids. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. In twenty twenty, <laughs> especially. But in twenty twenty, yeah, that's that's the reaction is let's go to rehab. But in nineteen ninety two, it's like, meh, that's not a real problem. <laughs> go hang out with some kids. That'll sober you up. <laughs> <laughs> so cut to a ragtag group of kids with one of them coming out of a dumpster with an old purse in his hand. This group of kids is feeding beans to a dog so they can fill the purse with dog shit. This is such a mean-spirited but brilliant prank that I I think might be worth losing a dollar over if you're like a 12-year-old kid. Well, it's kind of on brand with other early 90s comedies. I mean, you have, you know, leaving the poop flaming in a bag and Billy Madison around the same times. Yeah, you do. Yeah, maybe, you know, pranking with poop was just a thing of the early 90s. I don't remember doing anything like that as a kid. No, I don't. But no, uh, yeah. No, yeah, I've never scooped up feces for the uh <laughs> <laughs> for the sake of comedy before in my life. Right. So, they watch as a guy in a car pulls over to pick up the purse, continue driving up the road and then yell and throw it out his windows. The kids are laughing their asses off, but the guy sees them and races backwards in the car towards them, and then we get a chase scene with sped up footage. Is this to make it more comic and like less legitimately terrifying that they played in high speed? I think so, yeah. You know, it kind of reminded me of like some of the Benny Hill or yeah. like some of like yeah. oh, something that we've seen like the Little Rascals or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if it's just a straight out chasing, I mean that's that's James Bond chasing someone down. Like they're they're vaulting fences. They're <laughs> like they're like they're doing some major parkour type action. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're walking across planks, you know, climbing onto rooftops. 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. These kids get rewarded for their misbehavior because the guy never catches them, but instead during the chase falls nuts first on a board he's crossing, then falls in mud just to add to the humiliation. Mm -hmm. So we cut to the full Division 5 team practicing on a pond. Kids shooting at the goalie, Goldberg, who is played by Sean Weiss, who reprises his role in D2 and D3. He's in Heavyweights, the Tony Danza show, and a big recovering meth addict these days, if you've seen recent pictures of him. Is he recovering? Okay. Yeah, he got out of prison and he looks a lot better. Good, good. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't like being in front of the puck at all, which is not very good for a goalie. <laughs> <laughs> well, the poor kid didn't. I've never been hit by a puck fully padded up. Yeah. But I can't imagine wearing, I think Gordon Bombay mentions wearing rolled up either newspapers or magazines yep. as pads. Like I'd probably yeah. be ducking from that puck also. Yeah. That was written into the movie uh, because the, I believe it was the writer. So that was one of his fears. When he was writing it, he's like, oh, I'm going to put this in there because that's what I would not want to have happen to me. Well, and then the question is, like, what kind of magazines is he rolling up? Are they big, thick Cosmos or are they just his mad magazines, you know? It's a Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition that they found earlier. Oh, yes, it could be that. (laughs) So in his limo, Gordon Bombay gets his driver, Lewis, who is played by MC Ganey. We saw him in Con Air to drive out onto the ice. One of the kids, Jesse, stepped... I, I I really didn't write down a lot of the actors' names in this because it's just like, there's 15 kids. So Yeah, I got you. <laughs> Jesse steps up to him, and he's all tough. He's, you're in the wrong hood. This is a drug-free zone. But he gets told, no, I'm your new coach, and he has the roster to prove it. I like the look on the kids' faces when he starts reading names off of it, and it's like, whoa. Like, it, it goes from stranger danger to, <laughs> to wait a minute, what? How does he know this much? I, lo- I love the Disney the Disney of this scene in that it's like, we need to in- we need to input an anti-drug message, and, like, so these, ki- <laughs> these kids are all, like, gangster, but, like, vanilla ice gangster. <laughs> or they're like, they're like, no, man, get your drugs out of here. We don't want none of this. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the long and short of it i hate hockey and i don't like kids he wants to see what they've got and then the one kid warns him that they suck and he says i'll decide who sucks around here oh that's averman, you, you averman gotta, yeah. yeah you gotta love the dated rob schneider with with the whole meister stuff you know connie meister scoring goals <laughs> i totally remember that character from like early 90s saturday night live we talked about that because I couldn't figure out if he was trying to emulate a very fast-talking announcer, but Chris is the one that oh, Rob Schneider, big Rob yeah. Schneider immediately. Automatically yeah. on that one. So that must yeah. have been for the adults viewing pleasure. Yeah, because that was the, yeah, he's the making copies. That, that was <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah, Chris knows what I'm talking about. So, yeah, yeah. so as he watches them, the new coach comes to the conclusion, yeah, they suck. So he also asked the kids what happened to their old coach anyway. The oh, the last coach had a heart attack <laughs> right on the ice. Averman <laughs> Averman acting it out. It was a very funny moment. Like that that kid was equal parts super annoying, but also ridiculously hilarious. Like <laughs> he had, he had simultaneously the best lines and the worst lines in the movie. <laughs> he was great comedy relief uh, at just the right times. And I think I now I'm wondering if that joke about or the not a joke the the one coach having a heart attack. Was why Gordon Bombay started to carry aspirin around with him. Yeah, <laughs> you'll see him pop a couple during a future uh, future game. <laughs> oh my god, I did not notice that. That's an amazing catch. 
so Gordon decides to put in the minimum effort with the kids, telling them to go continue practicing while he goes in his car to make some phone calls. And if you have any questions, fax me. I love the data technology. The car phone. Yeah, we also get the line here. Yeah, the kids see the car phone. Is that a car phone? Is that really a car phone? <laughs> yes, and I'm really on it. <laughs> <laughs> so all the kids climb onto the limo and then eventually into the limo with skates on. So inconsiderate. He gets Lewis, the limo driver, to take the kids for a spin around the ice in the limo. And we, of course, get this whole scene ending with the Goldberg farted joke. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll carry on for for Mighty Ducks movies to come. Yeah. Well, and then and then I think Gordon says something like, "Geez, boy, what did you eat?" But Charlie's mom shows up and loses her shit over the kids being in the car on the ice, and she storms off with Charlie, pissed off. I should mention Charlie; he is played by Joshua Jackson, one of the only real big names that you might recognize, who went on to D2-D3, Dawson's Creek, Fringe, and a whole series of, like, 90s horror movies with Cursed, Cruel Intentions, Urban Legend, and Scream 2. I read that Leonardo DiCaprio and Jake Gyllenhaal were also possibilities for Charlie. Yeah, I read that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's parents didn't want him to do it. Yeah. Ooh, bad move. Well, I don't know. I mean, he's kind of had a decent career outside of that. That is being... true. I mean, even with the fact that Joshua Jackson is one of the biggest names, what else? Uh, I mean, I guess I just listed everything else he's in, but, you know, he's not exactly A-list. I'd say Jake Gyllenhaal's a little more A-list these days. I feel like if Leonardo DiCaprio is in this movie, by the time it was over, you'd be in tears for sure. <laughs> you would have got you right in the feels. Well, I mean, it could have helped him uh, learn how to play being very, very cold all the time, like he, like he was on Titanic. Uh, but, you know, wow. Jake Gyllenhaal, I mean, he started doing more, uh, doing more indie movies, like Bubble Boy and um, oh, what that weird... Donnie Darko. Yeah, Donnie Darko. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he did better in those kind of movies than any... I think he played, like, Mark Antony or... Like something like on a big blockbuster, and that yeah. tanked. Like he does way better in those little indie roles. So maybe his parents made the right move with that one. <laughs> that in Prince of Persia. <laughs> oh, that's it. Yes, Prince of Persia. See, see how well it did. Chris, your reaction there tells me that Aaron must have a habit of dropping Titanic references whenever possible. Is that? A... <laughs> no, I just wasn't. Uh... I wasn't expecting that one, so that was good. <laughs> <laughs> they could have both fit on the door. Selfish prick. They could have. The, the other person I'm going to mention in this scene here is his mom, Casey, who is played by Heidi King. She only has eight total credits, though. D3 is one of them. I, I didn't realize that she didn't appear in Mighty Ducks 2. Yeah, they said she got remarried and like that was it so that Gordon could hit on the Iceland trainer uh, oh, okay. and have that whole storyline. And then they brought her back to D3. I'm going to have to rewatch D2 because I, I don't remember it well at all. I remember Knucklepuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. All you need to remember is... What does Gunner say at the end? Uh, the coach is like, you lost it for me, Gunner. And he just says, you lost it for yourself. That's fine. <laughs> so Let's go shake their hands. Oh, yeah, exactly. fun, fact, fun fact about that actor. He plays an actor in D3, a totally different character. Yeah, yeah. He's the goalie. <laughs> He's the goalie. Uh, as, at least they put as many disguises over his face as possible there. So that yes. You didn't think of it too much. That's true. So we cut to the first game that they have against the Hawks. We see that the Division 5 team is really not prepared for hockey. I especially love the kid with the football helmet. Yeah. <laughs> Good old Carp. 
Gordon sees the second place Hawks banner from 1973 on the wall and gets depressed by it. And then he sees his old coach. They make small talk and Gordon is asking who his big prospect is this year. Oh, it's a kid named Banks. Might go all the way. And then Coach Riley really digs in the idea of the second place banner even more. Oh boy, I wish they would take that one down, don't you? Twist the knife. But why is it bright yellow? (laughs) It's it's such a sore thumb compared to all the other banners on the wall. Like, like, it's glaringly obvious. (laughs) It just screams, you guys are big losers. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird because the banners clearly aren't given out by the league. All the other banners are in the Hawks colors, so yeah. which are like black, silver, and green. So why, like really, and Pat Riley's been there this entire time, so I have to think it was actually his choice <laughs> at some point to be like, I want this golden banner to just be there as a reminder of how much I hate this nine-year-old child. <laughs> and, was this, and was this ice rink only used by the Hawks? Because why wasn't the team yes. in the first place have their banner there? Yeah. Right? Yeah. It was like a youth youth organization uh, league, so. Well, this was, um, I read that the movie used 20 different hockey rinks. And I know where I grew up, each team, depending on where you were living, had their own rink. So this could have been, could have been the Hawks home, ice, home, yeah. home ice. Yeah. Yeah. We do get another flashback scene because anytime we talk about the old days, we have to have a flashback of what we saw during the opening credits. And so Coach Riley finds out that Gordon is coaching the opposing team. So it's time for the game. Averman is so annoying in this scene. <laughs> like, I'd, I'd want to punch that kid at this point. Like, the whole, the, the swing, bada, 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 swing. No, we're playing hockey. Swing, golly, 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 golly. <laughs> like, he, he's mouth from the Goonies times 100. <laughs> yes, yes. Very much so. I also, I don't really understand, like, the mechanics or, like, of this team. Because it seems like in this game that they actually don't really know how to play hockey. Like, they have this this Oreo line comment comes up right here where the three of them are all right on the center. And then it's almost like the guy has to tell them, like, no, you're a winger, you go on this side. You're the other winger, this guy stays here. And then when they actually do the face-off, like, Guy doesn't even move. <laughs> he just watches the puck go down. Like, did their old coach teach them anything? Like, any of the fundamentals? No, he must have died before he taught them anything. <laughs> I want to know who I want to know who runs the league to allow, you know, a District 5 team to come in there with a hockey or a football helmet. Uh, or no know, helmet. No helmets, no No, no helmet. Yeah. yeah, like Char- Charlie's helmet is almost just floating on his head. It's not even strapped up or anything, and and at times just disappears for weird reasons and is nowhere to be seen. I do like the continuity with they always have Charlie or a, somebody on the team wearing something from Minnesota Gophers, who are okay. based right okay. in the Twin Cities there. So they were doing a you know giving a good nod to the hometown team. Oh, okay. Well, their team sucks. Goldberg has no pads. How is this game only 17 to 0? Like, Goldberg keeps jumping out of the way. (laughs) Yep, he handed it over at one point. (laughs) You know, I want to go back to that helmet thing for a second, though. (laughs) Like, I think back to the fact that amateur and peewee and all that sort of stuff, every, every new safety equipment measure is brought into the minor leagues before it's brought into the NHL. Like, what year were helmets actually mandatory because i remember we used to have craig mctavish on the edmonton oilers up here 
And I'm pretty sure early 90s, he was still playing without a, a helmet. But do you remember when helmets actually became mandatory in the league? Any player who entered the league after uh, June 1st, 1979 had to wear a helmet. But if you were okay. in the league before that, you were grandfathered into it. You could okay. just you didn't have to wear one. Okay, so I was thinking like 92, was it mandatory yet in the NHL? So that's what had me wondering that even more. But considering how long hockey has been around, the fact that it took that long, I mean, they were playing hockey in the early 1900s, so actually pretty shocking to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and it was like yeah. the f- it was the 40s or something like that before like goalie masks were even required. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. So Gordon gives the team a bit of an anti-pep talk. He goes, shut up. You guys stink. I thought we came here to play hockey. You think losing is funny? Well, Averman, of course, has, well, not at first, but once you get the hang of it, he's so sassy. <laughs> he's a sassy one. Yep. And so this makes up for all the swing batter batter is that this is a good Averman line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it won't be his last. And then, of course, we get the one kid saying, why should we listen to you? And they all file away. Gordon sees someone else from his past, though. Hans? We'll meet him properly later, but he is played by Joss Ackland, who has 202 credits back to 1949 in a movie called Landfall. He was in D3 as well. He, he played King Arthur and Kid in King Arthur's Court. He was in Lethal Weapon 2 and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Huh, nice. He's the main bad guy. He's the one that sets the robots on them. Oh, no kidding. Nice. Okay, nice. Yeah. And he was not in D2 either. His brother no. stepped in. I wonder what happened to him there, but he made it into D3. So, and he's still alive. Born in 1928. Yep. Doesn't he die? In, in D2, it's Jan. And then Hans comes back in D3 and his death is like the uniting factor. Yep. And, yep. Yeah. Sad moment. <laughs> he needed something. So we cut to a scene where a group of our team are being accosted by three of the hawks on rollerblades. <laughs> the rollerbladers, I always think of... Have you guys seen the movie Dogma? The Kevin Smith movie? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's like the three evil demon kids that are always riding around on rollerblades. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this totally <laughs> made me think of that because I'm way more familiar with Dogma than I am with Mighty Ducks. It's been a long time since I've seen Mighty Ducks, I realized. But we get introduced to the tough kid Fulton, who saves them from the Hawks. He's a bully with a conscience. And Fulton is played by Eldon Henson, who was in D2 and D3. Hunger Games, Mockingjay, 1 and 2. Idle Hands, The Butterfly Effect, she's all that. And absolutely killed it as Foggy Nelson in Daredevil. He doesn't play the most convincing 11-year-old I've ever seen, but I think he was 14 at the time that it was filmed. Yeah. Yeah, I looked up the age of a lot of the kids in this movie because the science scene where they make the blue balls joke and everyone reacts to it. I was thinking in the beginning, (laughs) Gordon Bombay is nine years old. A blue balls joke would not work on a nine-year-old. But then I looked up most of the kids in this movie were 14 when they filmed it. And I thought, Mm -hmm. well, that seems much older than what they should be. So, like, there must be somewhere in the middle. I, I'm guessing about 12 is what they're supposed to be. Grade 6, grade 7, something in there. Yeah. So. so, next scene, we get to see Gordon's new coaching strategy. He's teaching the kids how to take a dive. Just take, <laughs> just take the fall. Act hurt. Get indignant. That's that's his mantra. One more time. Yep. <laughs> Next game, they put their new lesson into effect, but after a while, the ref is onto them, especially when Goldberg takes a dive. <laughs> with no one near him. <laughs> uh, 
you know what's funny about Goldberg is like he's a terrible goalie the whole way, like the whole franchise. <laughs> yeah, like he 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 never really actually gets good. And I was always shocked, like Ju- Julie the cat Gaffney. Obviously, she comes in in D two and is awesome. But it's like, why wouldn't Goldberg? Goldberg would have never made Team USA on his own. Why was he even considered? <laughs> good point. Bombay brings him on. Apparently, well, I think he does improve because they don't even use Julie until the last goal in the whole D two movie. But then she clearly shows him up in D three, which I, you know, I was happy to see that one. But he must have improved. Yeah. But they still use him as like the key player that's always out of shape, out of practice. Um, but he has some good one-liners, just like Averman. So you got to got to keep the kid from Philly. So yeah, he's scrappy. That's why they keep him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's scrappy. He's lovable. <laughs> Any kid that went through the, their their games wearing magazines on his shins, he he earned a place. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, when I, like when I was in elementary and junior high, when floor hockey was super huge and and really important in gym class, I often hated Goldberg because Goldberg cemented the idea in every every person of my age's head that like if you were a big kid, you just were the goalie automatically. <laughs> And I was like, I am a big guy. And I was always like, no, I can run and score. I can. Like, <laughs> and I was like, no, no, you're. I get why, but still. Uh... <laughs> yeah, sore spot. <laughs> so, despite the ref's warning, he still tries to get Charlie to sell an injury, but stubbornly, Charlie refuses. We can't even win when we cheat, the kids are saying after all of this. And the parents watching are upset too. We get the one parent saying, is this what I gave my overtime up to see my kids taking falls? Oh, Gordon, you're on the wrong track, buddy. Mm. So he's feeling lost. And so he goes to visit Hans at his store. And Hans exhibits a superpower because he knows without even looking up that Gordon is there. You're the only guy that ever visits him from the back door, he says. So he's asking Hans why he didn't say hello at the game. And Hans has a great line. You were so busy screaming at the kids. I didn't want to spoil the moment. Oh, man, sick burn, Hans. Way to just inflict all this, like, guilt and shame onto Gordon. You know, I didn't see his head hang any lower up until this point in the movie. Gordon's used to tough love, and I think everybody knows that at this point. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So looking around the store that hasn't changed, Gordon sees an article on the wall from his time on the Hawks. Oh, man, he's got all these reminders of his glory days. And he says it was the roughest year of his life that he ever had because his dad died that year as well. So, you know, let's just double down on the depression. Not only did his dad die, but he blew what could have been the game winning shot. But then Hotz tells him to cheer him up, says you had 198 goals that season. 198? Is this normal for Pee Wee League? If you're really, really good, it is, yeah. I mean, if you're yeah. playing, if you're the on the Hawks, only playing D5 teams, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, like, in, in Pee Wee, if you have one really good player, you, I don't know. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, depending how long their season is. Because yeah. there's, there's even guys in, what is it, like the junior, like the OH, the OHL who like the guys who end are going to end up going into the NHL who will score who will have like I don't know like 150 point seasons and that kind of stuff regularly which is not what you ever see in the NHL like that would be incredible. I just looked it up and Wayne Gretzky scored 378 goals in his final year of Pee Wee hockey. 
Okay. Wow. wow. <laughs> okay, so it, it's it's not that far out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, I that's that blows my mind. I, like, how many games though would that be in in a Pee Wee League? Because like NHL is eighty two. I feel like Pee Wee leagues are long because they go they from are. like I think they're about the same as. I think they run kind of concurrent with the NHL season. Okay. Like they go from the fall to the spring. So yeah, in Wisconsin, they're a good six months. So that yeah. that year he scored three hundred seventy-eight. It was eighty-five games. Okay, wow, those are oh, longer yeah. than I thought. Sense. Jeez, and you have to you have to imagine that there's a, there's probably a lot more teams that are like District Five than there are. Well, not that bad, but like that aren't great than there are teams that are absolute machines like the Hawks. <laughs> But I if, just wonder why Pee Wee Hockey isn't instituting some sort of mercy rule. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think they do in Midget, which I think is the one below Pee Wee. I think there is a, a mercy rule there. But in Pee Wee, I think they don't because that's the point where like kids actually do start to get scouted for um like sports scholarships and that kind of stuff. So if there's no mercy rule in Pee Wee, it, it makes me ask again, how was it only seventeen to nothing in that first game? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what that's why Riley is like. We should have beat these guys by double that. Twice as much. Yeah. <laughs> Not worth winning if you can't win big. I still say that to this day. Yeah. <laughs> I I love. I absolutely love that that Riley tells them to run up the score. Like yeah. you never you never see that in professional sports. They're always like, oh, this game is too easy. Let's put out our weaker players and and just get people some ice time." <laughs> yeah. No, let's humiliate them. <laughs> Respect. Okay, so. With the fact that it's like 80 plus games a season, then I have some math questions for later on that make absolutely no sense to me. But we'll get to that in a second. Uh, (laughs) So with this walk down memory lane coming to a close, Hans gives a pair of skates to Gordon. That's why you came here tonight, isn't it? Ooh, that's superpower. Use that power for good, Hans. But Hans's pep talk puts the love of hockey in Gordon again. And he goes for a morning skate complete with a flashback to him as a kid on a pond. And he has a super supportive dad. You gotta also love the subtle nod that his dad calls him Gordy, and he wears number nine like Gordy Howe. Yes, yep. Uh, Head clear now, and seeing the error of his ways, Gordon goes to see Charlie. He came to apologize, so Mom reluctantly lets him in. Gordon apologizes to Charlie, saying it was wrong for him to try to make him take a dive in the game. And at the end of the apology, which Mom helps prompt from the other room, Charlie makes his first attempt at being a matchmaker and invites him for dinner. But but I do love that Gordon is like, no, that's okay. I've got. Wait, what are you? What are you having? Yeah, for dinner, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we cut to the next day with Gordon trying to convince Mister Ducksworth to sponsor the team. The kids need equipment and ice time for practices. So fifteen thousand dollars he asks for should be enough, but it's too steep for Mister Ducksworth. But Gordon Bombay, being a silver-tongued defense attorney, manages to convince him in the end. It'll be good press. And so it's time for our first montage, our good vibrations montage of the kids shopping at Hans's store. The hockey chalet, or whatever it's called. (laughs) It looked awesome. (laughs) During this shopping spree, Averman sees the article on the wall and finds out that Bombay was a hawk. But all this equipment that they're looking at and everything, I think we need to address Sponsorship Corner! (laughs) 
So always on the lookout for product placements in movies. This week, The Mighty Ducks is brought to you by almost every sporting equipment company like Coho, Cooper, Vaughn, but probably most notably iTech and Easton, because just about everything, th- this team is like fully equipped with Easton, is basically what they've got. The sports teams, the Philadelphia Flyers and the San Jose Sharks, the Minnesota North Stars and the Hartford Whalers, back when those were things, and the Chicago Bulls. Plus Ford, Lincoln, and Chevy Corvette and Camaro Z28 cars, Z for our American listeners, Coca-Cola, Winston Cigarettes, Budweiser Beer, Kmart, Upper Deck Sports Cards, Simplex Scoreboards, and Greyhound Bus Lines. Plus a special shout out to the law firm of Ducksworth, Saver, and Gross. And I also forgot to write down the name of Hans's business, but also the, the Skate Chalet or whatever it's called. And this has been Sponsorship Corner. Don't forget, Gordon Bombay's character was named after two different brands of gin. Ah, yes, I, I did read that. Uh, I did notice at the end of the credits, though, there was something about a Bombay like film company. And I was wondering whether that was where they got the name. But then I read that fact about, yeah, he's named after alcohol. So, Which I think harps back to potentially, I don't know, when Disney bought the rights to the movie, they kind of made it a lot more family friendly. But maybe they kept his name because the original Gordon Bombay was supposed to be like a hardcore alcoholic out to avenge like the hockey title from his old coach or something crazy like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I read something about that too. Yeah. He was, yeah, he was a down on his luck NHL player and yeah, he wants to take it back to his old coach. This is, this is if Cobra Kai was about Mr. Miyagi and, and John Kreese like that. that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. So now that they're all freshly equipped, they head to their first new improved practice. Gordon sees and recruits figure skaters that are practicing on the ice for the team because they're great skaters. Then he starts running drills around cones and the the, the whole soft hands egg passing. I, I think if I was a rink manager, I'd be pretty pissed because yeah. you're freezing that to the ice. All that shell and everything. Would the Zamboni pick that up? I don't know. It feels like you'd have to do a couple trips over it with the Zamboni. I think you just bring out the shovels at that point, try to get everything off the ice. Yeah. Well, now that they've done some fast feet and passing drills, it's Goldberg's turn. Gordon ties him to the net, and he's busy yelling things like, my mother would not approve of this coach. <laughs> and everyone sets up to fire pucks at him. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. But once the barrage of pucks starts, Goldberg sees how great actual goalie pads are for his job. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> and he starts laughing that this doesn't hurt. <laughs> and, then, and then he gets like really aggressive and he's like, come on, can't you do better than that? <laughs> I'm Goldberg, the goalie. Like he oh, finds yeah. his mojo right then and there. That's right. They start chanting Goldberg. And then the practice is over, and Gordon, who has changed drastically in a very short time, like, it's almost like Hans's comment about him yelling at the kids ha- just flicked a switch, and now all of a sudden he's good coach. But, you know, he's asking them if they're hungry and tired and pumped up, so he is presumably taking them out for a post-practice meal. I, I do love the moment, though, that Goldberg is still tied up. That's fantastic. Slowly yeah. skates his way over, although I didn't realize hockey nets aren't just kind of like it's a good thing for him i didn't know how hockey nets aren't just like they can move around they can't move i don't know yeah but i don't know how easy it is to move it yeah yeah that 
because that one looked like it really wasn't like pegged into the ground because I know they do have a peg system, but it breaks away for when people hit the net. However, later when Adam Banks goes into the post, it's immovable. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's almost like a a Tom Brady-esque ploy to uh, beat the Ducks. <laughs> so we'll call that netgate netgate <laughs> so for a ride they have a van now instead of a limo which is a little more practical for getting the team around we have to assume they've all eaten and now the coach is giving everyone a ride home and charlie is last and we get a sentimental moment between coach and charlie it was a really good day today charlie this includes a sensitive getting to know each other moment bonding over their missing dads and the whole time, Charlie's mom is watching from the window and has kind of a lady boner overseeing Gordon interact with her son. Oh yeah, she's watching them with, with sparkles in her eyes. Very much so. So now we see a scene of Lewis and Gordon riding in the van and they end up getting hit by a puck shot at the window and smashing it. And he hops out to talk to the culprit, which ends up being Fulton. We get a moment of misunderstanding as Fulton tries to run away, but Gordon convinces him he's not mad, he's impressed. And Fulton is amazing. He even shows another shot, smashing out a second van window. But the problem is he has two big flaws. He only hits the goal one out of five, and he doesn't know how to skate. According to D2, you don't need to really know how to skate or stop. That's why they have (laughs) Luis Mendoza. You know, clearly a teachable skill. Well, I, I read that a lot of the kids that were cast in this movie, they lied and and said that they could skate and most of them actually had to learn how to play hockey before they could do this movie which is which is funny the irony of this line that he can't skate i read like a fun fact about the actor they found to play young gordon bombay they plucked him from obscurity he was a hockey player in minnesota and they liked him so much disney put him as a star in another disney movie with sinbad called first kid first kid oh, right yeah. hmm. That little kid was skating. He was skating for real. I don't know. Sean, you mentioned the movie uh, Heavyweights at um, at the top of the show, but the one yeah. that I recently watched that movie, and I was shocked at how many of the kids from this movie are in Heavyweights as well. Yeah, there there's definitely a few. Goldberg being one of them. Yeah, Goldberg, Carp, uh, Thompson, right? I, yeah, Keenan Thompson from D two. He's in it. We cut to Fulton learning how to skate with the entire team rollerblading through the city center mall in a bit of a montage again. Uh, This feels like a bad idea for a practice session, though. I mean, Gordon is encouraging them to basically be hoodlums. And, oh, yeah, Fulton ends up rollerblading down a fucking staircase. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you don't you don't think his first lesson in skating should be on a flat surface, Gordon? Like <laughs> That's not fun for Hollywood. Of course they're gonna do some more physical comedy. Like Carps, they always have him doing something physical. He's like a little mini Chris Farley. Like that's what always is gonna get the laughs. He's, he's and he looks like him. Oh my god, I, that just hit me. <laughs> he looks like if you were to if Chris Farley and Rory Culkin were to have a baby is kind of what he oh, looks wow. like. Nice. Yep, good call. So at the end of this little mini montage, it's time for their first ever game since their proper training started. Gordon reveals the team name of Docs, and they don't like it very much. So Gordon has to try to convince them how cool Docs are in a big rousing speech. You know, because if people mess with one Doc, they gotta deal with the whole flock. Now, who's a Doc? And they're still hesitant. 
But Fulton breaks the silence and is the first one who will be a duck, followed by Charlie. And so when when the kids all start to get on board, we see a sneaky look between Gordon and Charlie's mom that's full of meaning, that's for sure. He sees the stars and he likes them in her eyes. <laughs> Out on the ice pregame, the ducks are using footballs, passing back and forth to warm up. It's a very Mr. Miyagi type lesson. I guess the best movie coaches use unorthodox methods. The other team is confused by this, but apparently the lesson Coach Bombay is trying to teach them is all about eye contact. And then next in warm-up, he pulls out his secret weapon. Okay, Fulton, shoot your heart out. And Fulton starts (laughs) shooting pucks and scares the other team with his power display. But I love the line from Gordon, huh, one out of five. (laughs) Because <laughs> that's what it was. I counted ten pucks. Two of them went in. So <laughs> they show him shattering glass or shattering the plexiglass in that in that scene. And I had seen that with players going through the glass, but I hadn't seen a slap shot go through the glass, shatter it that way. But sure enough, it's possible. The okay, knuckle yeah. puck is not possible, but Fulton's no. uh, slap shot is possible. Well, yeah, because Happy Gilmore is based in fact, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. So, so that's the last time I saw an ice rink glass get shattered by a puck was was Happy Gilmore. So I've seen. I used to always like I play a lot of uh, hockey video games or whatever, and I I don't know what the what the system is, but every now and then you'll miss the net with a slap shot and break the glass. <laughs> but it's always so it's so random, but it's so cool when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pep talk time. Forget everything else that's happened this season. That was District 5. The Ducks are undefeated. And they start chanting, quack, quack, quack. But the other team's coach says, what the hell is that? (laughs) (laughs) Very very confused. I'm wondering, did the Anaheim Ducks ever go through a phase where they tried to make quacking a thing? I believe they did at one point. Okay. Uh, I think it was like the first, maybe first couple years where they tried to get the quacks going. Okay. Hmm. Because it's it's really not very cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I couldn't be in the stands and just start quacking yeah. for fun. That's, no. that's Disney cool. <laughs> <laughs> so they get a goal, and it's the biggest fucking deal ever for the kids and the adults in the crowds. Is this their first ever goal? <laughs> it is. I think it is, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we almost got a goal once, yeah. And in this game, one of the kids, Carp, while blocking a shot, takes one to the head. Okay, first of all, they're super lucky they have proper equipment now. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I feel like in this movie, something that would actually have enough power to dent this helmet, the only person that can do that is Fulton. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was that was a that was a heck of a dent in that helmet. Yeah. Like I don't know. That kid's not waking up for a couple of days. No. Where is the concussion protocol because they basically just <laughs> lift him up off the ice and throw him on the bench and then just continue <laughs> on. <laughs> And he's sitting there like cross-eyed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not going to school today, mom, I think is what he said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the game is in its dying moments. It's time to put Fulton out there. Okay, Fulton, just like we talked about. And it turns out that the plan is just a big bluff to get the other team to dive out of the way so someone else can just tap it in gently. <laughs> Another Happy Gilmore reference. Tap it in. <laughs> why, why does everyone diving out of the way first go towards the puck and then away like it's a weird directorial choice because this isn't the only time they 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 do this in the movie there is the one where he actually shoots it later on but they always go into the lane and then jump away like it's just 
why why would you go the opposite way first? It just <laughs> it's just a weird directorial choice, but I guess it's so you can see their reactions or something along those lines. I didn't notice that though. That was a good catch. Yeah. I mean, what about the fact that like Fulton's Fulton's wind up is so slow that any any <laughs> quick skater would just have the ability to dive and tap and push right. that puck away. But that's why they had to set it up in the beginning that this guy can shatter glass is so that it is actually believable that their bigger concern is just getting the hell out of there. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, the Cardinals are so confused by the quacking, the the football, the football. Like they don't know what what's up anymore. <laughs> You know, they're just going to take a dive and, and close their eyes. The, the the Ducks are playing a very psychological game here. They are. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Different type of mind game this time. So with this play, they have tied the game. It's interesting to see that the game is over with a tie, though. Like, in minor league, a tie is acceptable. Like, does overtime not exist in regular season games in Pee Wee? I think well, back in the uh, 90s, they still had ties in the NHL. And all the other hockey, so I would just assume that it would be the same. But they still played overtime before they concluded it as a tie. I mean, yes, now they have the shootout and everything, but yeah, back in Mm -hmm. the 90s, they would at least play some overtime before settling on a tie. Hmm. I mean, we know know they played OT in the playoffs because the Hawks lost in OT, but maybe in the regular season, they just capped it at the three periods to the tie. But okay, so they managed to tie this game. First of all, how many practices have they had? Like, I was under the impression that they've really only had one real practice. One. Yeah, okay. That new equipment turned them into good skaters, defense. They could puck handle now. Goalie, or Goldberg's a goalie. Magic. Disney magic, I'm telling you. Yeah. (laughs) But then here's the math questions I had earlier. They find out that their tie might be enough for them to get into the playoffs? Like, really? Okay, so we've... Hans had a chart. Yeah, but we've determined that there's like 80 plus games a year. So they've now got one point in the standings with their time. <laughs> hmm, something's not adding up. No yeah. pun intended. Well, I want to know if in the they showed like the standings and there was one team below them. Yeah. Uh, they had to drop out because they all got the mumps. So yeah, the measles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just the math doesn't work for me. Because I have to assume this is, you know, if this is their first ever non-loss and they only have, what, like two games left in the regular season? Like, how is it mathematically possible for them to make the playoffs at all? We went through a long drought here in Edmonton where our team was doing 500 and that wasn't enough. Like, right. Maybe that's why the first coach had the heart attack. We never know. Like, yeah. you just couldn't get them to get the win. Or or the non-loss in this case. <laughs> right. But then they also find out a juicy bit of information that Adam Banks from the Hawks should be playing for District 5. And so we get a scene with Gordon and a lawyer confronting Coach Riley about Adam Banks. It would have been great if they had brought back the lawyer that he hates. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, that would have been good. But he's confronting Coach Riley about Adam Banks being on the wrong team. The division borders are clear. Adam is a duck. And this, of course, infuriates Coach Riley, who confronts Gordon in the hall. What do you think you're going to prove, you and that bunch of losers? And in his rebuttal, Gordon sarcastically parrots what was said about them and being losers. And in classic misunderstanding fashion, we find out that some of the Ducks team overhears around the corner. And this, of course, is the only part of that conversation that they heard. And we also get to see some of Coach Riley's true colors when he tells Gordon, you're not even a has-been, you're a never-was. Man, you're cold, Coach Riley. 
But so, what's interesting is we we looked up this rule for peewee hockey or, or 12 and under hockey in Minnesota. And if a kid is living in a different district than they want to play for, they just have to apply for a waiver and get the director to approve it. So <laughs> we could have, you know, missed this whole scene and Adam could have stayed a hawk. But without him becoming a duck, we'd miss that one last goal. And like, I get it, but it could have made it a lot easier than getting lawyers involved. Yeah, but that that rule came in, into effect in 1993. So there, there's a, yeah. <laughs> all because of this. That's right, because they even allude to the fact later on that they can redraw the boundaries. So That's right. Gordon ends up joining the team in the locker room where they are not suiting up for the game. They overheard and they aren't happy. Plus, Averman spills at this point that Gordon used to be a hawk. And we see where your loyalties lie. Oh, they're all so bitter. They're all so catty. <laughs> Yeah, the kids have a lot of chips on their shoulder. It's it's surprising. <laughs> like they're so young to be so angry all the time. Very angsty, angsty teen years. They're entering puberty. Part of it. Je- Je- Jesse's like the master of the mic drop. <laughs> every, every every line every line he says almost ends with him just walking out. <laughs> yeah. So Gordon has definitely stepped in at this time. He tells them they don't know the whole story, but it doesn't stop some of them from storming out. And he tells them, I'm going out to the bench because that's where I'm supposed to be. And anyone that joins me, joins me. But only Fuller and Charlie come out, so the Ducks have to forfeit. So this brings me back to my playoff question of how... <laughs> Magic. <laughs> well, I think um, back in Hans's shop on the standings, it showed if he, he says if you tie, I believe it's the Huskies, you guys make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But if they forfeit this game... Why didn't Hans say if you win this game and then win the, the game against the Huskies, you have a better chance to make the playoffs? So yeah. to me, this is sort of like they added this scene in there after they had filmed some of that line. Yeah. <laughs> or are we supposed to assume that the Huskies also lost this week? So things are still even? Maybe. Maybe. Or that Mumps, Mumps is just running rampant through the league and taking <laughs> team after team out until only the Hawks and the Ducks were left. <laughs> no one's getting vaccinated as children in Minnesota. Got it. <laughs> So later we get a scene where Gordon confides in Charlie about the game he played as a kid. And they're at the diner where Charlie's mom works. Charlie is kind of trying to play matchmaker still, but Gordon instead drops a bombshell. He's going to step aside. Charlie gives him a tearful, we're your team speech, but no good. Gordon is going to walk away. And then this is where we cut to the science class, where apparently all the kids from the team are in the same class. And yeah. we get... We get the teacher teaching them about water molecules. The red ball is hydrogen, but what are the blue balls? And cue laughter from all these 13-year-olds, 12-year-olds. Hey, maybe they just had, maybe the class before was sex education. Like, that was right around the time that I remember getting it, like, 7th grade, 6th grade, 7th grade, somewhere in there. So, it could be legit. <laughs> the teacher has to step out of the room for a moment with the principal. And while he's out of the room, all of the teammates start a fight in class with each other over their different opinions of the coach. And, and the principal comes storming in. And she says, what do you have to say to yourself? And, of course, quack, quack, <laughs> quack. So we get a scene of Gordon returning to his office on Mr. Ducksworth's request. He thinks this is to be the moment he's been waiting for, that he is actually going to be asked back to work. Turns out that it's actually because Mr. Banks, Coach Riley, and the boss are all there to try to steamroll Gordon into giving up his protest against Adam Banks, but just let him finish the season on the Hawks. And it's a bit of a nepotism-type moment because Mr. Banks happens to be old friends with Mr. Ducksworth, but Gordon, 
who managed to reset his moral compass, says he can't withdraw his protest. He tells Mr. Ducksworth, you wanted to teach me about integrity, and I can't let these kids down. The, the, <laughs> the bosses, are you prepared to lose your job over some kids and some game? And then he says, are you prepared to fire me over some kids and some game? Turns out, yep. he, turns out he is, yeah. Gordon is told to collect his personal belongings, and of course, he gets to quack at Mr. Ducksworth on the way out, because that's what everybody does in this movie. <laughs> well, Gordon makes some really good points. Like, he tells them, go volunteer to learn how to be a team player, play fair, all of that, and that's the opposite of what's happening in this room. So, like, I think that's like a redemption point for him, is I'm the bigger person here, I'm gonna do, yeah. I'm gonna follow the rules, do, do what's right, and it and that's very on brand for Disney, but um, yeah, it kind of carries that confidence like right back to the team, how a team can, they have one tie now at this point, right? They're going to take down the Hawks. <laughs> awesome. Let's see it happen. <laughs> the, the jersey hanging on the in, on in the glass on the wall in Mr. Ducksworth's office, he didn't earn that one according to, uh, to Gordon uh, Brown Bay. Nope. That's right. I, I did read that it's number 34 because the actor was born in 1934. Oh, wow. oh, okay. Nice. Nice. Subtle little Easter egg. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a weird it's a weird turn for Ducksworth in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was younger I didn't really pay any mind to it, but watching it this go around, it's kind of odd that he goes from being this character like at the beginning of the movie, it's almost like he pities Gordon and Gordon's yeah. like insistence that winning is everything and, and all this, and he's this like like this really moral guy. And then yeah. for some reason it's like he just flips and it's like, no, now you know you need to forget all that. Forget everything I wanted to. I wanted you to go out and learn and just do do me a solid for my pal over here. Well, as drastically as Gordon switches from a bad coach to a good coach, Mr. Ducksworth switches just as drastically. That's true. And I thought it was weird that du- wouldn't Mr. Ducksworth want the team named after him to be the winning team? You'd think so. But maybe he really doesn't yeah. value winning all that much. So Gordon goes to the school to see the team. He learns that they're all in detention, writing the lines, I will not quack at the principal on the chalkboard. After 600 and some odd episodes, do you, do you know if Bart Simpson has ever had to write that? Because that's such a missed opportunity. <laughs> I, I don't I don't believe he's ever had to uh, write that. <laughs> he gives a rousing speech to the kids. I made you guys and I'm sticking with you and we can play tomorrow night. And, and have a shot at the playoffs or forfeit again, and the season's over. His pep talk doesn't take much to convince them, so they need to go practice, and Gordon will go see if he can get them out of detention. And this scene ends on the button of, did you really quack at the principal? Are we ducks or what? <laughs> oh, there wasn't. I did notice, because after we rewatched this movie, we watched all the all the Mighty Ducks movies straight in a row, and the, the actress that plays the principal later plays a teacher at Eaton Hall in Mighty Ducks 3. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Yeah, so I wonder if the ducks, if all the quacking just did her in and she had to get a new job. (laughs) It would have been hilarious if there was a scene where she sees them all coming in and just runs out the door. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been perfect. So Adam Banks arrives at their next game, and he's played by Vincent LaRue, so I haven't actually introduced him yet. He actually replaced a difficult-to-work-with kid. There was this real diva kid on the set, and they brought in this guy and said, fine, okay, you're Adam Banks now. <laughs> I wish we knew. I know they can't name drop him, but I really wish we would we would know the name to see if like this guy did make it big later yeah. on in life. But Yeah, I'd really like to know that. And that kid grew up to be George Clooney. I don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio. 
Very oh, good. man. <laughs> so the Ducks still aren't thrilled to have the enemy on the team, even if he's amazing. And I'd say that this movie subtly wants us to realize how great he is by giving him number 99. That's a pretty bold statement. Just a little oh, bit, I mean. A little on the nose, yeah. We d- we didn't talk about we didn't talk about earlier how awesome it is that Guy Germain's number is double zero. Oh, that's that's, that's, that my, that's that's one of my favorite things about this movie. If I if I ever somehow got to the NHL, I would have petitioned hard for the double zero. See now, if I remember correctly, <laughs> when the Tampa Bay Lightning became an expansion team, they had a couple of gimmicks when they first started off. First of all, they had a female goaltender for their yeah. preseason games, their first season. And I believe they had someone whose number was zero. And he oh, lasted right. like one season for them as zero. But it was because people would chant zero, zero, because he wasn't <laughs> very good. If I remember that, like, I don't yeah. know whether that's like urban legend folklore that I'm I'm blowing that out of proportion. But I remember, like, I think the goalie was Madden Rayum or something was her name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very familiar. Yeah. But Gordon says to Banks, I didn't know if you would show up. And he says, I just want to play hockey. So at least he's a good kid. Good answer, kid. But he does get picked on a bit by the team who say putting on a Ducks jersey doesn't mean you're a real duck. In a real parallel to that scene that you just mentioned about Mr. Ducksworth, you didn't earn that jersey. And Adam Banks is one of those characters throughout uh, Mighty Ducks D2 and D3. I always feel bad for him because he's always just a kid that no one likes. Yeah. Like, he just, he can't fit into any team because he's thrown into different situations of not his fault. Yeah. Yeah. And and their assholeness here continues during the game <laughs> when they won't pass to him either. Like, no matter how much he's open and calling for it. Banks also, I think, I don't exactly remember what happens to him in D3. I know he makes the varsity team, but in both movies, he ends up having, like, a catastrophic injury that forces him to not be able to play in the like yep. final game because he's the supposed best player and so charlie has to go finish the job <laughs> yes. well, uh, wrist injury in d2 and i think a shoulder in d3 oh uh, yeah yeah i think it is the same in d3 yeah you think at one point you'd just be like okay no i i don't see myself making a career out of this hockey <laughs> <laughs> yeah. players play through injuries all the time it's good i, I i've had like 15 concussions in juniors. I, I think it's time for me to hang it up. Well, they call him a cake eater, which I think is just a, what, a slang term saying you're entitled, you get to have your cake and eat it too. So yeah. he probably has some other options. Just go, you know, talk to your dad. <laughs> but finally, they see no choice but for Adam to have the pocket, and he gets a goal. He ties the game, and they don't seem to mind Adam as much anymore. So the plan to win comes down to four words. Get it to Fulton. And Fulton assumes this will be the Statue of Liberty play again. No, not this time. Take the shot. But coach, one out of five. But the rest of the team, however, is super encouraging. Soft hands. You got this. And once again, Fulton winds up to fire. Everyone on the opposing team jumps into the way and then out of the way again. And the puck bursts through the netting in the back. The Ducks have made the playoffs. As a reward for making the playoffs, Coach Bombay has a special treat for the kids. I have to say, I completely forgot about this scene, so I didn't think it was anything special at first. I thought it was just them walking into the playoffs, like the playoffs were going to happen in a bigger arena. But they get to meet Basil McRae and Mike Madano from the Minnesota North Stars, (laughs) which definitely dates the movie. But, (laughs) But man, like, what an awkward cameo. Like, Madano's line about you should have seen this guy back in Pee Wee. <laughs> it's just, it's so, it's, it just feels so awkward. But Mike Madano isn't actually from Minnesota, I don't think. 
Oh uh, no, he's uh, believe he's from Michigan. So the whole so, backstory is a lie. That's movie magic right there for you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then actually in that scene, Basil McRae had most of the lines, but uh, Madonna was supposed to have most of the lines, but he just couldn't get the lines out. Okay. Because he's sort of his young career. He wasn't really good with like all the interviews by that point. So then uh, everything goes to Basil McRae. And in the, um, the credits, Basil McRae is hockey player number one, Madonna's hockey player number two. Okay, they didn't even get the as himself credits. Okay, no, no, no. <laughs> so, so they can mess with the backstory a little bit. Yeah, exactly. I, I just know I looked at this and it was like I'm like Mike Madano. Like this is 1992. Wasn't he playing in like the mid 2000s still? Like didn't he have yeah. like a a 20 something year career? I'm gonna say I feel like he retired. I'm trying to remember. He wasn't. I'm trying to remember if he was at the 2010 Olympics or not. Yeah, uh, I think it was either 2010 or 2011 where he retired. Okay. okay. I know yeah, he okay. did. He did manage to become the like highest scoring American-born NHL player. I'm pretty sure he still has, he still has that record. And huh. I think this movie came out in '92, and the Stars left at the night at the for the '93-'94 season was their first season in Dallas. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sports experts. When did uh, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks actually become a franchise? They were given the franchise in December of '92 and became a team in the '93 season. Okay. And when did they drop Mighty from their name? 2010, 2011. Okay. It took a while. Yeah, it took a while for them to... That's when they rebranded as just the Ducks and they did the new logo of it just says Ducks and then the D looks like a web yeah. foot of a duck. So, But they still use the same, the same mask um, as a secondary logo. I thought I thought they dropped the, the Mighty in, I want to say like 07, 08. Because I thought, I thought when they won the cup, I remember being disappointed that they won the cup and they weren't the Mighty Ducks anymore for whatever reason. Oh, okay. <laughs> but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Actually, I think you're right because they rebrand, like they took away the duck face that is in D2 that everybody knows. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they, they have a new logo in like 2006, 2007 that was like super lame. They had a couple logos that just didn't stick until they got the new web one. And yeah. I think... Um, so, 93 to 2006, they were the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. And then 2006 to present, they're the Anaheim Ducks. Okay. Yeah, because it was the... Because, yeah, so, like, the Oilers... Sean will remember. The Oilers 06. made their, like, Cinderella Cup run in 06. And then there was the whole Chris Pronger debacle, and he left and went to Anaheim and won the Cup the next year. So, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> And according to um, everything I've kind of read about this, the this act, the Mighty Ducks movie was the marketing scheme to see if the Anaheim Mighty Ducks would work as a hockey team, like as a name. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, Michael Eisner, it was a, he was a hockey fan. His kids played hockey in Ca Southern California. And they're like, well, let's see if this name works. And if it works, we're going to make this actual <laughs> team. Nice. So meeting Madano and McRae isn't the only surprise that Gordon has in store for them. They get a chance to skate around the North Stars ice and... They're just having fun. Why is the driver still there, though? Like, Bombay was fired. Like, is he is he just invested at this point? Like, you even see him on the bench at one point. Is he an assistant coach? I was, I was going to bring this up at the very end of the movie when we got to that point. So uh, I'll save my comment for then. Okay. <laughs> the, the other thing they get to do is attend a game with their name and picture on the Jumbotron. And I, I, again, I love how it's between two non-existent team, the Hartford Whalers and the Minnesota North Stars. And we also get a brief moment where Adam gets spotted by a couple Hawks buddies as he attends the game with his new team. Mm -hmm. And so we cut to a scene of dinner at Charlie's. Casey comes home and she is happily surprised to see Gordon. 
Still in matchmaker mode, Charlie convinces Gordon to take her to an ice festival, and it seems to be going well until Casey tells a story about a nearby castle-looking building and how she used to picture herself as a princess in the window up there. You know, that old chestnut. But then it just turns awkward when Gordon asks, which window is mine? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I assume they've been, they've had dinner together a couple times at this point, but this strikes me as like a first official date. <laughs> yeah, slow down, man. <laughs> Pump the brakes. She walks away like, it's not that easy for me to just give you a window. Yeah. And she's worried about Charlie getting too overattached and it's, it's too hard on him. But he says just on him and they kiss and overall just an uncomfortable clunky scene in my opinion. But apparently it was so cold this night of filming that their lips stuck together when they kissed. <laughs> Christmas story style. Yeah. Very Christmas story. Yep. Yeah. That, like, yeah, they had the makeup people come over with warm water to separate. It was like 55 degrees the night that they filmed this. So whatever that is in Celsius. But you guys know how cold 55 degrees could be. Oh, 55 degrees Fahrenheit. You're not freezing your lips. It must have been way, way colder than that. Oh, uh, maybe I'm remembering the number wrong then. That told me that they for sure were filming in Minnesota and like not somewhere else. The fact that that happened. <laughs> <laughs> so the playoffs kick off and they are presented to us in a classic sports montage form. I'd like to know where where all this Ducks merchandise in the crowd comes from. Like I have to assume that <laughs> even though Gordon got fired, Ducksworth is still at least going to fulfill his sponsorship obligations. But I feel like that probably didn't include making merch. <laughs> I didn't even notice that part so you just brought it up no good call wow good. And, and that North Stars game definitely wasn't so like did Gordon pay that all out of his own pocket like I'm not sure how much North Stars games cost in the early 90s but if that was an Oilers game that would be thousands of dollars even back then to take the entire team there like it's a pretty big purchase for someone recently fired although I know they look like they're sitting in the nosebleeds yeah so it, but they would still be expensive for Oilers games, huh? Well, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hired yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and going through a, a DUI uh, trial and paying right. off all the fines for that. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Like maybe he has good savings or maybe a severance. But anyway, our montage shows the Ducks winning 5 3 over the Hornets and they'll be facing the Cardinals next. And the game comes out 4 2 over the Cardinals, followed by a coke shower in the locker room. That would be so sticky. <laughs> <laughs> Just making messes between Coke and egg and God knows what. Yeah. I, I mean, I always think of that whenever I see someone take a Gatorade shower or the champagne showers. But I mean, like Coke would be, it seems like that's even a level above both of those. Yeah. We then get yet another moment of Gordon internally reflecting while skating with a flashback to the 1973 game where he shit the bed. Talk about dwelling on the past. <laughs> like, it's it's like Johnny Lawrence dwelling on the All Valley <laughs> Tournament in Cobra yeah. Kai all these years later. Like it's always so bizarre in things like this, just how much this one event shaped their lives. <laughs> yeah. Well, without this one event, we'd have no Mighty Ducks. So maybe we should be thanking Gordon for missing that shot. Yeah. <laughs> or they could redo. They could redo the whole story, the whole movie. Like, what if he would have made it? Mm -hmm. Would he now be the coach of the Hawks? Oh. What would that have looked like? Yeah. Oh my. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I am interested to see how that plays out in Game Changers because, judging from the trailer, in Game Changers, the Ducks kind of look like they're the Hawks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've reached the finals. It's the big championship game between the Hawks and the Ducks. We get dramatic drums playing as the teams size each other up. 
while lined up for the national anthem, which these drums then blend into us actually being able to hear the national anthem. And even though he's kind of endeared himself to the team, Adam does get warned by his new teammates, Hey Banks, don't forget which side you're on. Punk. I added the punk, but... Jesse being a hard-ass never never goes away, but at least in D2, like, they're just friendly about it, but it's just kind of his role. Almost like almost like a mini-enforcer, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> so we get the face-off with this cool angle, which is shot from under the ice, and we're off! Banks takes a big hit from his former team, the Hawks quickly get up 2 to nothing, then 3 to nothing, and then let's fly! And it's yet another Karate Kid simul- similarity. Coach Riley tells one of the players, I want you to drop Banks. So during the next play, this kid sets to work, knocking down Banks, and he goes into the post hard. Mm-hmm. But he does get a goal. But yeah, the, the one kid, it's, what did you do? My job. My job. My <laughs> uh. kid was so angry about everything. Right. Oh. <laughs> but it's 3-1 now. But they have to bring in paramedics for Banks because he's not moving at all. And all the other player gets is two minutes for cross-checking. I feel like that should have been like a double minor at, at least. Which is good that there's, par- <laughs> there's paramedics out there. After Carp took the uh, puck to the helmet and knocked him out, they just, you know, <laughs> threw him on the bench. And now they're bringing out. So it's the finals, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, finals get paramedics. Real medical care. <laughs> <laughs> not, not walk it off. <laughs> right. So Gordon goes to talk to Riley. And he says, you got something to say to me, Bombay? And he says, to think. I worried all those years about what you thought. You're going down, Riley. And he goes back to the Ducks bench. Let's have fun out there. And in their fun, we get another big Fulton shot to score, knocking the goalie into the net at the same time. <laughs> hey, as long as the puck crosses the line, right? <laughs> That's right. And now it's 3-2. to two. Coach Riley wants Fulton recovered. Nobody makes the team next year if they blow the game. And Coach Riley is really such a terrible human. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, the Hawks score, and now it's 4-2. to two. It's time for some clever plays, like Tammy Duncan doing figure skating moves. Would, would hockey players be allowed to wear skates with picks on them? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that happens. You know, I, I know the skating styles are different. Like, you use picks differently than you do hockey skates. I've heard that it's a tough transition to make. But if someone was raised on figure skates and went to play hockey, like, yeah, I just wonder whether they'd be allowed to have, you know, extra daggers on their feet. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's just, I think that's Disney magic right there. I don't, <laughs> that's a lot of extra picks in the front that, you know, regular hockey skates don't have. So yeah. I'm going to say no. <laughs> but this, this plan works because the Ducks score again, but Tammy gets knocked over, which means Fulton ends up getting thrown out of the game because he stands up for her. By, like, throwing someone into the bench. Outstanding move, Fulton. Yeah. That's the best kind of retaliation right there. Chivalry at its best. But now it's time for their secret move that we've never heard mention of until now. But it's the Flying V. And I love that the announcer knows that this batshit move (laughs) no one has ever done before is called a Flying V. <laughs> Maybe he was the one that named it. He's gonna call it the Flying V, and and that's it. It's really you know, it's a defensive move. Oh, he he's the lowest lane of the Mighty Ducks. She named Superman. He named the Flying V for all eternity. Sure it it, it'll catch on, guys. <laughs> so the score is tied at four. The crowd is quacking. Charlie gets a breakaway, but in a mirror image of Gordon's flashback, he gets hauled down. 
and we get a penalty shot. Like, really, one of the rarest things that you ever actually see in hockey. But somehow, in the finals, these two people have both gotten penalty shots with seconds left in the game. Who'd have thought? But we're told anyone on the ice can take it. Well, who's going to take it? Coach Bombay thinks it should be Charlie, probably because he's banging his mom, or at least wants to be, if he isn't (laughs) yet. (laughs) Exactly. But he asks Charlie, you've been practicing that triple deke, right? But unlike Coach Coach Riley's anti-pep talks, Gordon takes the approach of, you may make it, you may not. Go get him, Charlie. So Charlie sets up his penalty shot. I feel that the fact that he takes his helmet off for this doesn't seem at all legit. Yeah. I I guess it isn't cinematic enough unless you see his long, sweaty hockey hair. (laughs) need all the facial expressions. And I will say as a kid, until I started watching hockey as an adult, I didn't realize that this move or like any deking of any sort, I thought it was always this slow until I realized, (laughs) oh, no. It's not slow at all, and you don't just stop in front of the net and take a shot, you know? Like, come on, <laughs> come on, Disney. You're yeah, not even tri- really showing truly what a triple deke is, or a one-two-three, or whatever whatever you want to call it. The triple deke is a hard pill to swallow for anybody who's watched hockey, because it's like, you can't go, you need to be going at momentum. I mean, the right. idea, like, like, three dekes. Three deeks is is probably the most easy thing to follow if you're a goalie, especially at that speed. But what's right. the point of the deke if you're just going to stop flat and shoot? Right. I mean, Con- Connor McDavid has a pretty good kind of like a triple deke move that he used to do, where he, but he like pulls it at the last second and like tucks it in. There's not even like a leg. There's not even a leg fake. <laughs> I do remember like one famous, I guess it was a, a shootout. It, it was it was an oiler as well. And that's what he did, though, is he skated up, stopped dead and did a slap shot. You know, so it's, you know, well, stop stopping dead can throw a goalie off his game. That's true. Well, he shoots, he scores, the Ducks win, parents flood the ice, Hans shakes Gordon's hand and then they hug. Thank you, Hans. I'm proud of you, Gordon. And then they get their trophy, and we get the slow motion fade out. And then, as a little denouement, we see Coach Bombay must have fallen in love with hockey again, thanks to this movie, because he's getting on a bus to try out for a minor league team. And then, with the parting words of, Hey, Docs, no matter what, see you next season. We've got a title to defend. The end. I wonder if they knew that they were setting that up for a sequel at the time. I did read that they left it as a cliffhanger on the hopes that there might be, but it's still, like, also just a nice ending. Because D2, I do know, starts with him coming back on a Greyhound. So yeah. Right, right. We notice that in the exact, they drop him at the exact same spot, so I appreciated that continuity. But yeah. here it is, like, Charlie's mom thinking that she's going to be in a relationship and Charlie's taking, or, uh, you know, Bombay's taking off again. So, man, yeah. tough break. Yeah, he really didn't live up to his promise. Right. And you asked about the driver, like, why is he still hanging around? You notice Gordon took a bus to his tryout, so he may not have a license right now. So he hired him out of his own pocket. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah, it did have me wondering earlier. So that is the Mighty Docs. Now, Colin, Aaron, Chris, on IMDb, it scored 6.5 out of 10 and has a meta score of 46. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has 23% on the tomato meter and an audience rating of 65%. But Colin, those are just numbers. I didn't get it in this movie. But like a knuckle puck to the head, 
hit us with some reviews. All right. Of course, because I mean, the critics suck on this one. I went to the uh, audience of Rotten Tomatoes for some reviews. And to be honest, I couldn't stop reading them. There were so many good <laughs> ones. And I mean, I have so many that I thought were, were good, but I don't know. We'll see. All right, here we go. Ali S says, five out of five stars. This is the first sports movie I ever saw. I have such fond memories of it. It was funny, sad, and still continues to be one of my favorite sports films. I am shook with five O's that Rotten Tomatoes score is so low. Me too. Me too, Allie. And then this one I chose because it's just like a budding critic in the making. And I, I really <laughs> I really admired his uh, word choices. Ryan S. gave the movie three and a half out of five stars and just says, very good. The Mighty Ducks is a film that I've heard about for a long, long time, but this was my first time watching. I enjoyed it, in short. Satisfying sports story, a solid message, decent humor, and a serviceable cast. Emilio Estevez is fine in the role of Gordon. He's definitely the best actor on display here. The numerous child actors are alright. Sean Weiss, Goldberg, is the one who stands out in my memory the most. A nice little film about a local youth ice hockey team, one for the family. Nice. <laughs> You, you, when you said budding critic in the making, like I, I was hoping that like it would end with like Ryan S. H. Five. Although there was there was a really funny one. I, I didn't I don't have it here, but it was this person just put it was like I like I like the the part where the the ducks played the silly hockey at the beginning, and then the guy put my six year old son. <laughs> <laughs> this one this one I really I really identified with. I didn't mention it at the at the top, but Matt. M gave the movie five out of five stars and said, "Just the horn theme tune alone is worth the watch. A brilliant family film." That was the first thing. Similar to any time I watch a Batman and you hear uh, like that Danny Elfman score rise up at the beginning. Yeah. Every time I, I always forget that horn that that trumpet at the beginning of Mighty Ducks just really sets the tone. It is a really memorable. They do have a memorable theme in score to them. Yeah. Okay, I have two more. First is Marcus J, five out of five stars. I love this movie. If one of you says another mean thing about Emilio, I'm going to lose it. This movie is incredible. If you don't like it, you probably didn't have a good childhood and don't have enough love for the incredible sport that is ice boxing. All of these reviews should be taken down or I will contact the police. <laughs> That's great. Wow. I like ice boxing. That, uh, I, that, that works for me. <laughs> and then this one... I don't know why it made me laugh for probably 15 minutes straight, but Matt G, four out of five stars, just says, Mark Wahlberg's best movie. (laughs) (laughs) So random, I love it. (laughs) Maybe he was the one that was kicked off the movie. Ooh, there you go. (laughs) Mind blown. Right on. So, yeah, like I said, we've got 65 and 6.5 from people and and 23% and 46% from uh not people, aka critics. Let's let's send it over to our special guests first, Chris, Aaron. Uh where where does the Mighty Ducks fall for you on this viewing? Well, it kind of makes sense that the critics rated it low. It didn't make a lot of its money at the box office. It made a lot of its money after the fact and kind of became a a classic amongst kids during this time um when it went to vhs but obviously it's good enough that it spawned a flipping nhl hockey team i still think 
I, I think the nostalgia stays when I watched it again, it's been years since I've seen it, but I was still laughing as I was watching it. Yeah. I was catching a lot more of the adult humor in it. I think adults can enjoy it as well as kids. I don't think Charlie or Charlie's mom and Gordon really even needed a romance line there probably, really. but I don't think they did that. I would say they could probably cut out and focus more on Gordon and Charlie, but I would, I would still rate it. I'm biased just because I grew up with this movie, but I'd still rate it five out of five stars. Leave it alone. Stop making fun of it. I'll call the cops. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> so, Chris, you said that hate was too strong when I said that in the beginning. So, uh, hate hate was too strong. I don't know if I've ever said that. Maybe uh, some words were thrown in my mouth from Aaron. Um, I've only seen this a couple times. Uh, I haven't probably seen it since I was a teenager. Yeah, so. Okay. Uh, it's been a long time, so when I was asked to uh, do this and watch the movie again, I was like, oh, you know, it's a standard Disney movie. But then watching it again, I was like, there's a new appreciation for it of just, like, the storyline. You know, Averman, we kind of talked about him earlier. I love the kids' one-liners. Yeah, um, many. yeah so uh, it was actually a lot better than I remember it. So I would give it probably four to five stars. Yeah, right on. Okay. Colin. Yeah, it's actually – this has been was an interesting watch for me because similar to you guys, I watched it uh, – a long time ago, like the last time I've watched it was probably a while, a while ago. And I've always loved the kids. Like, I think you, I always take notice of the kids and how funny they are and that kind of thing. And all that was still great. But this time around, I really enjoyed Gordon Bombay for the first time. I think mm. like I really I really like his I really like his character arc. I like for whatever reason, I don't know if I was just like feeling something today or whatever when I was watching <laughs> it. But I was like, I, I really like the sentiment of learning what winning is about and like what it means to win and, and all that kind of stuff. And kind of, yeah, I really liked that, that story throughout. And then I was a little bit more critical of the, the nonsensical hockeyness of it. Just being a hockey fan has always kind of been an, an irritating thing to me, but I love the mighty ducks with all my heart. D2 is still <laughs> the best one for sure. But this, this one, I mean, I, st I have to give D2 like, Eight out of five stars, so I'll give <laughs> Mighty Ducks five out of five stars. Right on. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm I'm going to be the fourth person to say this, but yeah, it's been years since I've seen this movie as well. Like, I realize it's probably been 20-something years since I've had a look at this movie. And yeah, it's it's an underdog sports story. I mean, I, I love a good underdog sports story, and it is fun, and it is hockey. There's There's not very many opportunities that you can have with a sports movie to say, I want to watch uh, a hockey movie because it's kind of like, okay, you've got Goon and you've got Slapshot and <laughs> there's there's not a whole lot outside of that, you know, unless you're going to count the cutting edge. But mm -hmm. I don't. And of course, Happy Gilmore. We, we can't forget Happy Gilmore, but... Hockey movie. There, there's very little hockey in that, especially if you're taking off skates and trying to stab people with them. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I can get behind like a, a good solid 80% or, or something like that. Like the four out of five where Chris is sitting. I, I can I can get behind something like that because I still had a good time. And I realized that, yeah, I, I really did love this movie as a kid. And, you know, it does make me want to watch the sequels. And it definitely makes me want to watch Game Changers. Like, I love Cobra Kai. Colin has mentioned he loves Cobra Kai. I'm hoping that... It has the charm that Cobra Kai brings to the nostalgia series, <laughs> you know. So, so yeah. yeah, I'll be watching. I'll definitely watch Game Changers. I, I watched, I watched Cobra Kai because I love the Karate Kid. I, it's 
cheesy as hell, but that's what makes it good. <laughs> um, the Saved by the Bell reboot, same way. Um, you got a lot of those same characters, and it brings charm to it. So, I mean, if you have Emilio Estevez, I think you needed him to kind of rope it in and, and get people to watch if you're not going to name some of the child actors that are going to yeah. be making cameos. Hopefully they do. And I've, I've heard Joshua Jackson is on that list of people that might be oh, coming great. back. Um, Good. But I mean, of course, we've also got Lorelai Gilmore as well. Right. So She's everyone's mom. So this is going to be great. <laughs> I saw I saw recently that NBC uh, is bringing back Punky Brewster. That's another <laughs> so, great one. Are you, are yep. you on board yep. for that? Absolutely. <laughs> we share a name. Nice. Yep. Well, there we go. That's the Mighty Docs, and that's our show for this week. This is the first time we've had double guests on our show. So a big thank you to our guests, Chris Wolf and Aaron Brewster from the Sports Rundown. Give us your lowdown. Where can people find you? Give us a little plug of your show here. Well, our um, our podcast, like you said, is called The Sports Rundown. You can find us on pretty much all the major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and um, iHeartRadio. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And hopefully, I, I know when this posts, you'll, you'll uh, post our name and everything Absolutely, so people can yes. find us. But we post new podcasts every Monday and Friday morning. We try to make us different than other sports podcasts. We're not going to do a ton of in-depth analysis like you're going to get from the big names at ESPN. But we're going to give you what we think is important to know, as well as some extras, some bonuses. Like we talk about sports history. We talk about fun bits like mascots and uniforms. Mascot Monday. Absolutely. Mascot Monday. Yep. We really try to teach you about sports. So this may be for people that aren't necessarily like hardcore sports fans already, but maybe you got a family, maybe you're busy or not. You want to be able to keep up with what is needed to know in sports in order to still talk about it, dive back in when you want to, but you'll also learn a thing or two and get some fun facts along the way. And we try to keep it 30 ish minutes so that you can get us in on your way to work over your morning coffee while you're walking your dog. Nice. Have you guys done have you guys done Wild Wing for your mascot Monday yet? Wild Wing. No. He's the Ducks mascot. Well, we will do one in conjunction with when this is published. How about that? Oh, there you go. Perfect. All, all right, right perfect. Well, there we go. Yes, thank you for joining us all the way from Texas. Woohoo! Thanks so much for having us, you guys. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. If you like that show, one thing you can do to really help us out on the business end is go tell your friends, share our posts. Word of mouth is huge for a podcast. Or if you want to go above and beyond to help us, go to whatever app it is you listen to your podcast on and give us five stars. doesn't matter what you say. It's not for our egos. You could just quack at us in a review. <laughs> there you go. That's a perfect review. But it's those five stars that drive us up the charts and they just help us get noticed. And check out our website, www.iustolikethisone.com. There you can find links to all our podcast episodes as well as all our social media. We have Twitter, we have Instagram, and we have Facebook. I would love it if you would go on our Facebook page and upload a video or a photo of your best triple deke, knuckle puck, flying V, whatever you like. Spread the joy. And if you would like to be a producer of the show and donate to us, you can go to patreon.com slash I used to like this one and become part of our Patreon community. Get a shout out on the show. I used to like this one is created by, hosted by, and produced by Sean Wells and Colin Stewart. It is edited by Sean Wells, music by Lyndon Carter. Look for his band Carter and the Capitals anywhere you listen to music. Thank you for listening. And join us next week when we take a look at another movie on I used to like this one. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> nice. Awesome. <laughs>